Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Big Steve from Down Under. Today we're going to talk about UFC Vegas 74, Kai Kara France versus Amir Albazi in the main event. Two flyweights, I mean, Kai Kara France trying to get back into title contention and Amir Albazi trying to stake his claim that, hey, I'm the next guy in line and Scheduled for five rounds like any UFC main event. This is going to let us know exactly where these two stand uh, in the stacked and emerging flyweight division, Steve. I agree, man. It's probably, I mean, not probably, no doubt, the best fight on the card. And it's uh, suitable for a main event. So I'm quite excited to talk about it. Definitely. So without further ado, let's get right down to business because look, the main event in the flyweight division, you got Kai Car France, who's 24 and 10, taking on Amir, the Prince Albazi, who's 16 and 1. And currently they got it. Amir Albazi minus 110, Kai Car France minus 110. So it's a dead pick em. I mean, it just depends where you look. You know, in some spots you'll have a slight lean on Kara France. In other spots, you'll have a slight lean on Albazi. But for the most part, this is a dead pick em. And it's pretty interesting, man, because, you know, I've heard the takes and um, I think we can all agree Kai Car France has fought the better level of competition. Um, I mean, I don't think that's even like an opinion. I think that's a fact. I mean, he's been in there with the Morenos, was in there with Pantoja on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, been in there with Moreno twice, actually, you know, and Amir Albazi, while he hasn't fought the same level of competition, he's been handling everybody he's been dealt um, pretty damn accordingly, and he's earned this step up in competition. And now it's time to see if he's ready to rise to the occasion. So tell me tell me your thoughts on this one, Steve. My thoughts. My thoughts uh that it's probably an accurately lined fight and there's not not an edge for me personally. I I, I was leaning Amir Al-Bazi mainly because I see it a, a competitive fight on the feet. And you know, I guess Amir has the better grappling upside. You know, he's, he's, he's a purple belt, but I think he's technically he's better than a purple belt. You know, he's been submitting black belts already a bunch of times. Uh, but yeah, you know, he's, he's he's got serviceable striking, you know, nice jab. Uh, occasionally will throw a jumping knee, uh, switch knee as well. Uh, calf kicks. The main thing is his feints, you know, feints and distant management. He doesn't really get in there recklessly into the pocket, which would be a bad thing against Kai Kara. I think Kai Kara is always going to be waiting for that overhand right. And Kai, you know, he's, he's a good boxer, but he's sometimes he's, he's just a little bit meat and potatoes to me. You know, he's just a high guard and he closes distance well. And as the fight goes on, he just kind of, I don't know how to say it, he just devolves into just waiting for the overhand and calf kicks. And I just see it as a competitive striking fight. And I thought maybe let's let's play Albazi. Maybe he can look like a favorite with, you know, the, the occasional takedowns. He's got really good single legs. And Kai loves giving up his back as well, which kind of bothers me. You know, he's got... Solid takedown defense, but then somehow always ends up, you know, tripoding or just turning his back, uh, and then everyone just ends up on it. So I can see, you know, Filbazi ends up on it. You know, he's a good back taker. Uh, but yeah, the more I thought about it, it's just like, you know, maybe Kai can steal rounds with the more eye catching shots because you know Albazi mostly just kind of, you know, point fights up until the last fight where he landed a big uppercut on Costa, but Costa's quite chinny from his regional tape. So, yeah, I, I didn't want to force this one. It's, it feels like a competitive five-round fight. Um, you know, I can see a path for Kai uh, the same way uh, Shorty Torres uh, beat Albazi, you know, drop him here or there a couple of times, still rounds. Um, I can see back tags from Albazi. I can see close submission attempts where Kai gets out. So, yeah, I just didn't – I didn't want my money on, on a fight like this with, 
you know, I'm going to enjoy watching it five rounds, you know, high level. And I, I feel like a fight like this will have some good live betting spots, you know, as we get into rounds three and four, if we get there. Um, you can kind of see how Albazi's looking. You can see how Kai's looking and then make your, make your plays there. But yeah, nothing, nothing for me pre-tape. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the level of competition argument, because, I mean, I haven't listened to anybody, but I'm pretty damn sure they're going to talk about how Kai's been in there with the top guys and Amir Albazi, you know, hasn't fought shit. But what you got to take into consideration is that Kai has lost all those big fights he's had. I mean, whether we're talking about Pantoja on the Ultimate Fighter, whether we're talking about Moreno, you know, I'm not talking about the title fight. You know, he fought Moreno before that. And honestly, some of these wins, man, like the Howley and Paiva fight, I thought if that was anywhere but Australia, Howley and Paiva gets his arm raised in that fight. Another one, the Tyson Nam fight. Live, I was kind of like, man, like I thought I thought low-key Tyson Nam was landing the harder shots in that fight. But when I rewatched it, I can kind of understand, you know, Kai did have slightly more volume, but I thought Tyson Nam was landing the harder shots. So when you go to, you know, back to, okay, he's fought the better level of competition. Yeah, lost to Moreno twice. Got finished by Brandon Royval. Um, and when you talk about his big wins, I mean, what's his signature win? Cody Garbrandt, who had zero business at 125 pounds, who already had no chin at 35. You think he's going to have one at 25s? So the big win is the Asker Askarov fight. And I'm not one of those people, but a lot of people thought he lost that fight. Um, I got to give him credit, though, in the Askarov fight because I felt like his takedown defense was massively improved. Like you remember that one sequence where he's balancing in the air and doesn't get taken down. Eventually he does get taken down. But at first he had he showed some very good first line takedown defense. That balance was on point. And he did out volume him almost two to one. So you got to give him credit there. Asker's currently a retired fighter. So now with Albazi, look, he hasn't fought anybody, but all our favorite fighters had never fought anybody until they fought somebody. So to me, it's just about rising to the occasion. Is he ready to do that? Based off what I've seen, I mean, he's handled all these lower level guys accordingly, whether it's tapping out multiple black belts. And we can we can talk shit about, you know, Francisco Figueredo all we want, but no one else handled him like that in the UFC. Like people might have decisioned him, but no one just got him out of there like he was nothing. I mean, the triangle he had on Malcolm Gordon was beautiful. He did his thing against Zuma Gulov. Usually with Zuma Gulov, people are crying robbery. No one was crying robbery when Amir Al-Bazi beat him by decision. And then the Costa fight, he gets criticized for that. But honestly, I thought that that was his most mature performance to date. I felt like the first uh, round kind of took his time, make some reads. You know, he's kind of unfamiliar with that short notice opponent. And then from there, I thought the second and third round, he really put it on him. And that uppercut was so nicely timed. So to me, I mean, I see this as a guy who is ready to rise to the occasion. I think he does have the goods. Now it's just about proving it under the bright lights against, you know, a guy who's ranked in the top three. And like you said earlier, you think that the striking can be competitive. Sure, maybe we can slightly edge France, but I don't think that it's going to be to the extent where Abazi is just getting picked apart. You know, when we talk about Kai Kara France's game, you know, it's a bit of that city kickboxing game. You know, he's got solid fans. Obviously, you know firsthand that what he's trying to set up is that big right hand, but he also has nice calf kicks and he's just a fundamentally sound striker. So you got to give him credit there. But historically speaking, when guys really push that pace on him, they don't back down from him and, and, and they start to get to him later in the fight. This is something I've been seeing. Like I told you, 
since back on the Ultimate Fighter with Pantoja, back in his early UFC days against Paiva. Um, this is a trend I've been seeing for a long time, Steve, that you know, the longer the fights go, if you're not discouraged by what Kai Kara is bringing to you, you can break him. And when we talk about the second Moreno fight, people only like to talk about the liver, uh, the liver shot and amazing liver shot for sure. But I need to give France credit here because I hear people you know, downplaying his durability. Guys, a properly placed liver shot is going to shut you down. Does not matter who you are. And one thing they don't show on the replay is that Moreno actually rocked him with a spin prior to the liver kick. So he rocks him with a spin, has him thinking about shots up top that opened up, you know, the, the beautiful opening to, you know, that, uh, that left side shot. And man, when you hit that liver, that was all she wrote. So beautiful combo by, by Moreno there. And do not, you know, downplay Kai Kara France's durability. Cause that was not a durability issue, but basically, man, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, we've seen the best of Kai Car France, whereas Albazi, it's time to rise to the occasion. I think he's got the goods to do so. So for that reason, I'm picking Amir Albazi to come out here and win his uh, first UFC main event, Steve. I actually, yeah, I agree with everything you said, man. Um, that was one of the reasons I was leaning Albazi. When you kind of look through his UFC career, there's always, it almost seems like the perfect storm, you know, it's, and I actually had money on him against uh, Nam, and I, I thought that was going to be a close fight, but I kind of just said, you know what? It's it's in his hometown. Let's let's let it ride. And I was sweating bullets watching that fight. It's just that's what I mean. And and that's low output Nam, right? And he doesn't really differentiate himself from anyone, and he couldn't even differentiate himself from from Nam. So that's what I was leaning Albazi. You know, it just it seems like all the upside is on Albazi's side. You know, the, even the uh, the high level of competition is just like you said. He loses to him and. You know, like Cody Garbrandt, and even uh, Askarov, he looked uncharacteristically gassed in that fight. If you, I'm sure you would agree, like round three, he was kind of folding, like he was done. Um, and you know, credit to Kai, man, it was a probably the perfect game plan to beat him at that time. But yeah, I agree with everything you said, man. Like uh, Ali Albazi is just, uh, I'm still, you've kind of convinced me with that, <laughs> with that confident breakdown. Maybe, maybe I do end up on the play by the end of the week. I mean, look. Uh, I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm just saying, you know, the whole who has he fought argument. Like, guys, like, I know I'm repeating myself here, but really, all our favorite fighters never fought someone until they fought someone. Like, so, like, I don't care that Kai's, fought, you know, Kai's fought the better people. Kai's lost to the better people. Kai hasn't beat the better people. He's lost to the better people. So, to me, like, you know, I, I always mention my money trains. I mean, Jamal had never fought anyone until he fought someone, you know, Bilal had never fought anyone until he fought someone. Like all these guys had never fought anyone until they fought someone. And now's his chance to fight someone. So let's see if he rises to the occasion based off what I've seen skills wise. I think, I think he's got the good. So now it's just about, let's find out if we're right. You know, if Kai's just slightly ahead of him with that experience and whatnot, so be it. But I, I think it's going to be an honest competitive fight. So yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the young blood here. Likewise. Co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We got two grizzled vets. We got Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. He's 20 and 13, taking on Daniel the Pitt Pineda, who's 28 and 14. Now, I got to say, it says he's 28 and 14, but actually, Steve, he's 30 and 14 because two of his wins got overturned in PFL. He finished some really good guys. The Movid Kabloav guy, I know I fucked up his name, but y'all know who I'm talking about, that, that badass Russian. 
finished him quickly and he finished Jeremy Kennedy uh, quickly. But, you know, he tested positive. And, you know, I always make the joke PFL, like as you've been seeing with all the guys testing positive, you know, PFL stands for PED Fight League. And for you to test positive there back then, I was like, oh, my God, he must have been harvesting the garden of life fruits and vegetables in a way unimaginable but now in the last couple of weeks we've seen like 14 guys test positive so they got to get back on their masking agents but basically what i'm trying to say is daniel pineda 30 wins 30 finishes that that's some unheard of shit like back in the day steve you know carlos condit was one of those guys but it was always kind of a thing where it's like he had like 28 wins but 26 of them were finishes and i'm not downplaying that at all that's amazing but 30 for 30 in the finishes in, in the finish department that's pretty fucking amazing man so this guy is killer be killed literally the definition of killer be killed and uh with alex bruce leroy caceres another guy who's been around the block he's super long um he's rangy he's actually ranked in the top 15 right now which is something i never thought i'd see and that's not to discredit a long time bet i, I just kind of always viewed him as you know a fringe top 30 guy so to see him rank number 15 hey tip my uh, proverbial cap to him but as far as this matchup is concerned you know i don't think this is julian arosa anymore i think that um there's a big threat on the other side here with pineda obviously you got to deal with the length of caceres and and historically speaking when fights get extended that's when pineda loses you know he's never won a decision before and it's not because you know a lack of skills it's because this guy literally goes balls to the wall trying to get you out of there and he he empties the tank and as a result you'll also get finished in those kind of fights. But we've seen Caceres finished a good amount of times too. So, <coughs> excuse me, I'm not riding off. Um, I'm not riding off a stoppage win for Pineda here at all. Not at all, man. It's, uh, it's a dog or pass for me. You know, uh, Pineda's an OG, man. I remember when he was first in the UFC back in 2012. I, I really wanted him to do well. I was like, oh, this guy's amazing. He's just dangerous hands, dangerous jiu-jitsu. And then, you know, had a couple of losses and they kicked him out. Um, but yeah, came back and he's still an animal. He's still, he's literally good everywhere. You know, physical, good takedowns, elite jiu-jitsu. I think he was a black belt in jiu-jitsu even back then in 2012. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was a brown belt. No, you're right. He's been a yeah, black belt a long time. That's a long time to be a, to be a black belt, man. No wonder he's so good. And um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously looked a little bit uh, worse for wear in his, uh, in his two fights against Andre Philly and Cub Swanson. Uh, the most shocking thing to me is, I don't know if you agree with this, I'm sure you do, is that he hasn't popped since that uh, Taika Lutz fight. <laughs> it looked absolutely amazing shape. And, you know, a lot of the people who are putting him in parlays against, uh, putting Lutz in parlays, I was like, this is not the guy that you want to be playing a juice against Pineda, you know, in his hometown, last fight on his contract. You know, he could just be juicing up to the gills. And if he gets popped, he pops, he doesn't care because he's going to go out on a win, right? And, you know, even in that fight, he kind of looked like he was sweating bullets halfway through round one, like he was, you know, getting really tired, really gassy, but he still he still had enough to get uh, lots out of there. You know, he's got good calf kicks. Yeah, I don't want to ramble on too much, but yeah, ultimately, you know, historically, Bruce Leroy is, a, is an underdog kind of guy, and now the line is, you know, quite close to minus 200. And I didn't have the balls to play Pineda against Lutz. Uh, I wish I did, but it's just, you know, it's... Gassy guys that kind of rely on, you know, I don't make any assumptions, rely on PEDs to perform at their best. And now this is a step up, you know, say what you want about Alex, but he was ranked recently up until maybe he's still ranked. I don't think he is. I think when he fought um, your boy Sadiq, he was ranked or he was after that. But it's definitely a step up. Uh, but yeah, Alex does have his weaknesses, man. He can still 
be backed up, even though he's got nice footwork and, and that karate stance and he's in and out. A lot of people, you know, duck under his one too when he blitzes in and get to his back, LA Cron Gracie style. You know, he's, he's fighting people like, you know, Peterson and, um, you know, Kevin Bravo. Kroom. Yeah, yeah, and Kroom. Kroom was in on that. That was one of the big fights that made me consider a play on Pineda. It's like Kroom was. Kroon was dead after one one round and he's just not athletic at all and he's just plodding forward and he just keeps getting on Bruce Leroy's hips over and over and over again. And he was credited with one takedown, which one takedown alone could be enough here, right, with Pineda's ground game. But in the fight, he kept ended up on his back. You know, he threw a knee, slipped over, fell on his back around two, didn't get up for the whole round against Kroon, Kevin Kroon of all people, you know. So it's like if, if he falls down, you know, if he overextends, if he throws a side kick on the back foot, which he did against um, Peterson and got caught, that, that, you know, ends up on his back, that's going to be sweaty. And I don't know how he's, you know, you don't want to be holding a close to minus 200 ticket at that point. But then again, you know, it's yeah. what happens if he gets out over at around one? That's uh, that's when I, I assume Caceres is going to have his his uh, success, you know, with the karate, with the with the footwork. Panetta's a little bit flat-footed. And I assume, you know, rounds two and three, he's just going to become even more flat-footed as he gets gassy. This, this is one where I want to wait for the weigh-ins. You know, it's, I hate saying that. Yeah. I don't usually care about weigh-ins. No, you're right. Um, you're right. Yeah. If he looks anything like he looked against Tucker Lutz, you know, this is, uh, it's not his hometown anymore. Hopefully, he's as motivated as he was for that. Um, he says Dana White gave him a call and said, look, we'll give you another contract. You're fighting Caceres. He accepted the deal straight away. So maybe they weren't, I don't know. I, I assume they were going to re-sign him. I think they were just waiting to see the results of the test first. And, uh, yeah, I've, if he looks anything as good on the, on the scales again, then, you know, he's serious. He's going to give Alex a fight. Uh, it's going to get extended. I don't, I don't think Alex has really any tools to finish someone like Pineda. He's not going to submit him. He's a good back taker, but I don't see that working on Pineda personally. I mean, he, he jumped in in the, in the fish tank with um, Herbert Burns. Man, no problem having his back taken and getting out of it. You know, from Burns, say what you will about Burns, but if Burns gets your back, he, he can get his over the chin and you tap in. Um, so, yeah, it's a dog or pass for me. I haven't pulled the trigger. You know, it's, again, I'm being a pansy again, you know. If I was going to play it, I would have played it against someone as bad as Lutz. Uh, the over one and a half, also minus 200, which is, I mean, if there's going to be a finish, it correlates with Daniel Pineda, right? He, he had the first guillotine on Lutz uh, at two minutes of round two, which is well under the one and a half mark. And then he... He had a very slick back take from there. And then he went back to the guillotine and finished him half an hour after one and a half marks. So that was really close to going under. And I reckon if he's going to win, you know, all finishes, like we say. He was about to win one decision. I'm sure you watched the fight against Georgi Kartarian in uh, Bellator. Oh, man, that was awful. He was just putting on a wrestling clinic. And I was like, man, how did he not win this decision? Um, and he's just throwing him around, just wrestling Georgie. It would have been in 30-27. And he just ate an up kick to the brow, not even a Dr. Worthy stoppage and yeah, you get stopped. So he's had some bad luck. Um, so he can win a decision. It's just that was a while back, you know, obviously a lot better cardio. But yeah, it's a dog or pass for me, man. It's just, I don't know. This is a step up from Tucker Lutz. I want to see the Wayans. If he looks good, it doesn't hurt to have a little stab, you know, maybe half a unit. And then nah. you can live bet out, I guess. No, I agree. I mean, I said the same thing last time. Like, we got to see exactly what kind of shape Pineda's in because, you know, he's 
tested positive in the past and we've seen different physiques from him you know those two pfl fights that got overturned the physique there compared to the physique you know against cub swanson was night and day um and i also forgot to mention the odds the odds are minus 175 caseros with the comeback on pineda at plus 150 so you know the way we're talking where this is a fight that could go either way clearly is dogger pass um at these odds and then another thing i wanted to talk to you about man is um this is a good example of that market overcorrection. I mean, you know, Julian Arosa was close to minus two something against uh, Caceres. People were out here parlaying Julian Arosa like it was some lock against Caceres. Now Caceres knocks him out. Now all of a sudden he's minus, you know, 175 in a spot that should be lined a lot closer. And guys, I know people get sick of me talking about certain fighters like Bilal and stuff, but but you got to understand the, the the concepts and the principles I'm trying to bring up here. When we talk about market overcorrection, this is a perfect example right here with with uh, with Caceres, whereas Bilal plus uh, two something against Wonderboy, plus 160 against Luke, plus 115 against Brady, plus 125 against Burns. So literally, there's no market overcorrection on a guy like that. You keep getting value, whereas with Caceres, one fight he's overvalued, the next fight he's undervalued. And you know, et cetera, et cetera. And in this case, I think he's a bit overvalued. So I'm not saying with conviction that Pineda is going to win because, you know, Pineda is kill or be killed and either one of those can happen. But what I am saying is, you know, pre fight plus 150. I mean, I mean, I mean, listen, if the fight was minus 110 a piece, would you think that that's a crime? Nah, no, nah, probably be accurate. Oh, uh, I'll give, I'll give uh, Alex slight favorite. Just, you know, Okay, so so minus one twenty five plus one oh five. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah, we're in agreement here. It's a dogger pass situation. And let's see. I mean, two grizzled vets, you never know what's gonna happen. But going into it before the fact, it seems like it's either Pineda or Pass. And uh I'll pick him as well. So let's see. Featured bout in the lightweight division. You got Jim Miller. I mean, the legend, he's 35 and 17, taking on Jared Gordon, who's 19 and 6. Currently, they got it. Jared Gordon, it just depends where you look, you know, around minus 170 to minus 180 ish with the comeback on Jim Miller from plus 150 to plus 160. Um, and, you know, you break this down like you'd break down most Jim Miller fights, right? Like, you know, he's very, you know, He's a very potent finisher, whether it's the guillotine. You shoot a sloppy shot on, on Jim Miller and give up your back. And, I mean, don't be surprised when he takes that back and chokes you out. He's also knocked out a couple people that aren't quite on his level. What I like about Jared Gordon is if he can get past kind of this early going, that's where Jim Miller kind of tends to fatigue, kind of back to the killer be killed type talk. And that's where I think Jared Gordon can kind of out-volume him, kind of put the pace on him. But it's contingent on, you know, him not getting stopped early. And there is the narrative about, you know, he just got knocked out a couple of weeks ago against Bobby Green. Um, but at, at the same time, even though that's 100% valid and, you know, you should bring it up. Listen, man, I'm not a doctor. Um, I think you're not a doctor. I don't know for sure, but I'm not a doctor. And I've seen examples like recently Parker Porter got knocked out by Taffa, comes back a month or two later and stops whatever that dude's name is back in the day, uh, Brian Ortega knocked out Frankie Edgar and literally a month later, Frankie Edgar returned and beat Cub Swanson. So to, to me, man, like we're not doctors. So that's really not 
I'm not really concerned about the fact that Jared got knocked out, you know, a month or two ago. What I'm concerned about is Jim Miller being the potent finisher he is, Jared Gordon kind of being a bit of a slower starter, that early going. Regardless of if Bobby Green knocked him out or not, he could still get caught here again. And that's what I'd be worried about. But I truly think this fight starts round two and gets into round three. I see Jared Gordon kind of doubling him up on strikes and coming out here and winning this decision. Yeah, yeah. It's another it's another one of those fights where I don't really see how, you know, Jared Gordon covers this line. Um yeah, I I played a I played some early Miller. I have to admit, I played it. It's uh it's another one of those like the Pineda fight where, you know, I'm backing a guy that you know is pretty pretty likely to lose round three. You know, he doesn't in majority of his fights, right? Even um even though if I'm not really a, a Jared Gordon truther. Um I, I think uh yeah, I think it's going to be 29-28 either way. Um, the whole thing about being knocked out and whatnot, yeah, I'm, I'm all, I also try not to take it too into consideration unless it's someone that's traditionally chinny like Gordon, right? Then it's like, all right, this guy's already chinny. Did he take you know a couple of weeks off because he had a concussion in the gym and then he's only been in the gym for two weeks and now he's going to fight? And when I do have a play on, on, on someone like Mila, I try not to think about that too much because then I might get swayed and my bet is, and then my bet ends up being mostly predicated on that stuff, which is not what I want. I want it just to be on tape and what I see. And, you know, he's good at this, he's good at that. And then the other stuff is a bonus, you know, cool. Maybe he's, he's extra chinny, whatever, whatever. But yeah, I, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I was really impressed with Miller, man. He's, he's old um, and he's getting up there. He's, he's already 40, right? Let me just double check that. 40 has to be 39, 39 turns 40 in a couple months. Don't, don't come after me, Jim. I'm uh, it's still a compliment, but yeah, uh, I was I was very impressed with that uh, Alex Hernandez fight, man. Like, so Alex Hernandez is you know say what you will about him, maybe he's a little bit flaky, and we saw him almost get rear naked choked at the last minute of that fight. But he's extremely fast, powerful. You know, he's got the long tools like the jab, the teep kick, and he was just keeping Jim Miller at the end of all that for the whole round, uh, whole fight. I was still shocked that that was a thirty twenty seven. I mean, I had no. Uh, Nothing on that fight. And I wanted to live bet. You know, every time Jim cracked him with a big left hand, I was like, ooh, live bet opportunity. You know, he was coming back into this fight. But then obviously the jab and the speed was too much for him to handle. But I was just impressed how, you know, he didn't fold. He was getting busted up. He didn't get knocked out. He didn't get dropped. You know, this this is a 39-year-old that still has a lot of juice in the tank. And I don't know if Jaron Gordon would have taken some of those left hands, right? That, that left hand just put out people cold, you know. Mota, uh, he actually wobbled. Uh, Joe Selecki really bad when Selecki ended up pulling guard. He got cracked really bad with the left hand and just he didn't pull guard for no reason. Like I, every time you watch it, he just got he got countered. Um, and you know Jared Gordon, he does have really good boxing. I'll, I'll take that back. Not really good boxing. Uh, it's tricky, awkward boxing, right? He just kind of has a high guard, head down, and he's got awkward timing. He blitzes in, and I feel like really technical traditional boxers like Green, for example, he struggled to get a read on that. You know, and he was kind of getting lit up early. Um, and then, you know, he would have figured him out eventually because it's just Jerry Gordon does the same thing over and over again. He always throws the left and the right. And he looks much better when he's fighting someone with no head movement like Paddy Pimblett, right? Every single shot, he's, his beautiful blonde hair is just going back and forth. Um, but even then, he has no power, right? He's cracking he's cracking, uh, cracking Paddy and he has no power. And then every time Paddy cracks him, you see the explosion. You see, you know, the, the hooks are a lot more powerful. The kicks hurt. They make a lot, lot more noise. I can understand why he's getting robbed, you know, and 
you go through his career as a decision machine, you know, he's he's got good cardio, but it's just like he really should be breaking more people. He broke a few people early in his UFC career. He was my money train back in the day, you know, Kunones and whatnot. Um, home was broke, Arkan Diaz, but couldn't. But yeah, I agree with everything you said, man. I, I feel like early going, you know, this is going to be competitive. I think Jim's always going to be alive to crack him with a big left hand. You know, Gordon might be hitting him with his um, boxing combinations. Always live for the shot. We see Jim now knocking people out in round two. You know, it used to be round one, Jim Miller, you know, keep cashing tickets against bums. Now it's, you know, fights go into round two and he's putting people out cold with one punch in the left. You know, even even heard uh, Cerrone and then jumped on the guillotine. So, yeah, I, I don't know how yeah, how, how jo, jo, uh, Gordon covers this. You know, 29, 28, either way. I guess you can say he wins round three at a pretty high clip. Uh, the things that, that Miller struggles with is athleticism, power, speed. I don't think Jared Gordon has any of that. You know, last time he, Jared actually covered a 30-27 was against the corpse of Leah. Uh, Leonardo Santos. <laughs> and and I'll be the first to admit, it, I lost money there too. I was like, look, Santos, just this guy can kill anyone in round one. And I was extremely disappointed in that performance. I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even give it his best in round one. Um, and he got 30-27. But that was his, I think that was his retirement fight. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, I just think, yeah, I, I think Jim still has... Uh, some gas in the tank to keep this competitive. And yeah, I see it as a relatively close fight. Worst case, Jared Gordon wins a decision. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I agree with the, the overall gist, you know, finish upside Jim decision upside uh, Jared, you know? Um, so back to the whole, you know, not trying to be a doctor thing. Man, I heard uh, Jared's interview today talking about how he had concussion symptoms from the Bobby Green fight, and that was I was kind of like, all right, man, I'm I'm probably good on this. Um, my pure pick will be, you know, for him to get that second and third round, maybe start to accrue a little bit of top control, maybe just kind of out volume him on the feet. But I mean, you you can't deny the possibility of Jim Miller, one of the most potent finishers in the history of the sport, coming out here and finishing someone who's been finished multiple times. So, you know. We're on opposite. Um, Go ahead. Can I add something before we move on to the next fight? Of course. Right. Of course. Even if you look at his decision losses, man, like Vince Pichel, it, it, that came down to the last couple of scrambles around three. You know, I like bet Pichel there because, you know, yeah, he's going to lose. He's going to gas. He's going to lose. Let's put a hammer on Pichel. And I'm sweating, man. He's, you know, I'm sweating because Pichel's known for his cardio, but Miller still has enough to keep it competitive. He was on top before the end of the round. And I was like, oh, no, I can't believe I'm going to lose round three to a gassy Jim Miller. And then Pichel gets up and reverses. So I don't think it's so clear cut. You know, all these all these fights, uh, they're getting quite close. You know, Scott Holtzman was a beat down. But again, more physical. Back then, you know, 2020, two years ago, three years ago, Holtzman was, you know, a, a tough dude. Um, but yeah, even in round three, man, who knows? It could be a lot more competitive. I mean, look at the Alexander Hernandez round three. That, that was a war up until the last second when Jim got on his back and the bell went. So you never know. It's... It's not that cut and dry. Maybe maybe Miller can win a round three in, in some universe out there. So your pick, Jim Miller. Jim Miller, let's go. Okay, I'm on, I'm on Gordon. So we finally have our first opposite side. But I don't have money down, and you do. So I'm a I'm a root for you. All right. Now, next up, we got the people's main event in the flyweight division. We got Tim Elliott. He's 18 and 12, taking on Victor Altamirano, who's 12 and 2. 
And currently they got it. Tim Elliott minus 175. The comeback on Victor Altamirano is plus 150. Man, let me tell you this. If this was a five-round fight, I would view it so much differently than it being a three-round fight. You know, um, Victor, a champion in another organization, LFA, been five rounds more than once. And um, he's someone that gets better as the fight progresses. And Tim Elliott is the guy who goes balls to the wall as soon as the bell rings. And this has just such the makings for an incredible fight. And, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, how they match up and all that. But, like, you know, I know a lot of people are going to be bringing up, you know, the outside the cage factors for Elliot. To me, like, it's not a big deal because, like, the way I view it is, like, is Gina Mazzani being a whore going to improve Victor Altamirano's takedown defense? Never know. I mean, I, I, I just personally don't think that her being a hoe is going to all of a sudden make Victor's get-up game that much better. That's that's my opinion. So to me, it's irrelevant. But what I've heard from Tim is that now, actually, the way he's training. So he's he moved out with these guys that um, he's, like, living in a mansion, but basically his schedule is on point. All his meals are cooked for by a chef. He's got his supplements. They've got, you know, recovery with, like, the cold plunge and the sauna and all that. So he's got literally everything taken care of. And he said that he's the kind of guy that he needs his coach to like tell him when he's fucking up and to stay on top of him kind of military style. And he said, that's exactly what he's getting where he's at right now. So he said that this is actually the best situation he's ever had. Um, so that's actually pretty cool to hear uh, for Elliot. He's fully invested and fully focused, you know, got away from the negative situation, got outside his comfort zone and is all in on this. So I love to hear that from Elliot. With Victor, I'm a big fan of Victor. I think that he fights with that Mexican spirit. Um, and what's interesting about him that makes him kind of unique is he's got a bit of an unorthodox kicking style. You know, uh, you were seeing hook kicks that last fight. You were seeing a lot of spins um, against Vinicio Salvador. And he's actually uh, been training a lot with James Vick, former UFC fighter, who's now a karate combat fighter. And Vick like went all in on like the karate style of things, and he's kind of bringing out uh, Victor's, you know, old traditional martial arts style, which was, you know, towards the taekwondo and the karate. And that's why you saw a bunch of those kicks in that last fight against Vinicius Salvador. So I, I see them coming out here and banging it out, man. And w- one thing that I think. Uh, Tim can capitalize on well obviously we can talk about the takedown defense but on the feet one thing I really think that uh, that Tim can capitalize on is for whatever reason Victor has a habit of dipping his head far too low in a lot of fights it's a habit that he's done over the years and he's gotten away with but the right opponent someone that's experienced enough uh, and that can time whether it's a knee an uppercut something up the middle is going to eventually catch Victor. So I, you know, I'm not the coach or anything like that, but I'm sure that when they went back and they watched Victor's fight against uh, Salvador, they noticed like, hey, you know, that's something that we can potentially capitalize on. And for Victor's sake, hopefully he realized, hey, we need to clean that up a little bit. As far as the takedown defense, I, I mean, I think Tim's going to take him down in the early going. Now, do I think Tim's going to necessarily pass his guard or, you know, dominate him on the ground. I don't, but I do think he's going to be getting takedowns. So kind of the way I see it playing out is I, I think Tim comes out here. I think he wins that first round. And, and this is all assuming that there's not a finish, right? Because there could very well be a finish with these two wild men in there. I think the first round, Tim's probably going to win. I think 
the first half of the second round, Tim's going to win. But Tim pushes that balls to the wall, torrid pace, which has gotten gotten him in trouble in the past. You know, namely like the Roy Vol fight, where he's dominating most of it, but he just empties his tank. And you know, a guy like Roy Vol still going to be there. A guy like Altamirano still going to be there. So that's where I think things get kind of interesting in the late second round, and let alone the third round. So. You know, in three rounds, I kind of do lean towards Tim a bit. But, man, I'm telling you, if this was a five-round fight, I, I, I would take the shot on Victor. And, you know, Tim's actually historically a guy that I look to fade, not because I have anything against him. I think in terms of, like, being a fan, I think he's one of the most exciting fighters in flyweight history. I mean, there's a dude that'll do cartwheel kicks, spins, flying knees on the mat. His scrambling ability is incredible. And you've seen him go out there, get anaconda chokes, darces, the whole bit. So I love watching Tim Elliott, but when you're talking about a betting perspective and you're laying minus 175, he's not going to play it safe. It, you know, he's not going to just come out here and grind this guy out. Easy 30, 27. I, I expect a war. I expect chaos. Um, so, so talk to me for a second. Should I be viewing this as dogger pass? Cause like I said, five rounds, five rounds, I'm betting Victor Altamirano in this fight. Three rounds, I'm just worried about Victor kind of getting off to a bit of a late start and kind of kind of a situation where he ran out of time, right? That, that That's kind of my concern here. So that's why I kind of lean towards Tim. But if you can talk me into Victor here, I'm always down to fade Tim Elliott, especially at dog odds like this. Uh, I don't know if I can talk you into Victor, man, just because uh, I can't talk myself into it either. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm going back and forth, man. It's it's hard to not watch Tim Elliott's career and just think this could be a levels fight, you know? You see him absolutely go to war, go to war with these guys, you know, like Nikolau, which is a very close fight, and Tagir. Tagir. Yeah, absolutely steamrolling someone like Jordan Espinosa. And, I mean, I know you're a fan of Victor, but, man, I reckon there's a, there's a high probability Espinosa's the level that Altamirano is at, you know? he's To me, he's a whole lot of nothing, um, you know, level of competition, you know, Vincia Salvador, you can make the argument that Carlos Hernandez was a high-level opponent. Yeah, and yeah, it's just, what do I say? You know, scrappy Mexican that kicks a lot and punches a lot and can get taken down. And credit to him, he has, he's got decent offensive wrestling himself, which is uh, implicated quite a lot recently. I think he's taken every single person down, you know, Candelaria, Carlos Hernandez, uh, Salvador multiple times. So, you know, Tim can be taken down despite being a really good wrestler. Uh, so that's where I'm leaning. I'm kind of leaning. This could be a levels fight, you know, especially with everything you've told me, you know, taking his career more seriously. You know, there's no girls in his life, you know, just messing him about. He's just training and nothing else. And this is his passion, you know. He's still in it. He's not thinking about retirement. He loves this stuff. If anything, I think he's going to be motivated. But the one thing that you said that I definitely agree with the most is that pace. You know, he's going to come in here. And now more than ever, he's probably going to be geared up to fight, you know, to, to the maximum, maximum potential in that first and second round. And yeah, he does it, man. He he does usually slow down and get tired and cardio dumps, whatever you want to call it. Just the adrenaline just wears off a little bit, you know, once he's, once he's done with rounds two and three. And then it's just kind of like, you know, you've got Tim Elliott that still has his hands low and he's still quite smooth in there, but he's a lot more tired. He's, he's a lot more sloppy. Not that I think Victor is the type of guy that's going to punish him with the, you know, brutal head kick or anything and put him out cold. Um, but that's the thing with the, that's the issue with the minus price line on, on on team you know he's kind of like you know these other guys the eroses and, and the caceres i want him as a dog you know because he's going to fight for my money and he's most likely going to make a very close competitive fight um 
but he might do that here too and decent favorite so but I, I am you know slightly leaning towards this maybe being a levels fight you know um maybe victor wins round three but he's just i don't know i don't know you know if you look at victor's early career i think he's approved a lot you know uh, oh, yeah. from his lfa and so now it's like he's in the ufc he's getting better and better i think he's 32 yeah he's 32 years old you know it's still still your prime years who knows could be another two or three years of his prime um so yeah it's I, I think the line might be accurate um the one thing that i that, I, that i'm looking at potentially playing here is the under the under is a very generous price i know you know i told one of my my friends uh, who does this full-time as well and he's and he's just said well how do you see this finishing and i was like oh, man, i can see this finishing in submission either way you know if uh, if tim gets a step down he's got very good anaconda chokes very good guillotine chokes and you look at his career man he's uh he almost got knee barred by ryan benoit which you know that's a bit of a red flag there you know credit to him he didn't tap you know he looked in a lot of pain Espinosa, I mean, he could have finished that, but he's just, I don't know, maybe wanted to make a point. He was very angry, upset, you know, just more concerned with forearms in the face rather than finishing. Um, Nikolai wasn't really close. I mean, he dropped Tagia, had his back taken. You know, Brandon Ruba finished him. Askar almost knocked him out. You know, Figueredo finished him, finished uh, Del Rosa. He had uh, Mighty Mouse Johnson in some deep uh, anacondas. I mean, if he can do that on Mighty Mouse, Mighty Mouse was calm, you know. Who knows? Uh, but that, that's that's just a big num- number that caught my eyes, and you know I'm kind of kind of contemplating it. It's you know, but both these guys, you know, Victor Altamirano, you know, has been submitted in a lot of his losses. Yeah, some of them were back in the day. He is a black belt. I mean, I'm sure he can survive. It just depends if I don't know if you noticed to be a Tim. Tim seems to want to uh, strike a lot these days. You know, it's, it's it's a lot less guillotine attempts, more like just stuffing takedowns, getting up. You know, he's falling in love with his hands a bit and. Can't blame him, you know. He's out there dropping to gear <laughs> a flyway. That was a that was a statement in my eyes. That was a big shot, man. I was like, geez, where, where did this power come from? You know, usually yeah. Tim is just kicked to the body and all these flailing hands, and that was a big overhand right right on the temple. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm contemplating Tim Elliott, man. I think by the end of the week, maybe more money comes on Altamirano. Um, yeah, just we'll see. Maybe it's a force bet. But at the moment, it's a pass, and I'm just eyeing that that massive under number. Maybe sub, maybe fight ends in sub. I, I don't have props yet. I'm in Australia. It's just a backwards place with, with props and lines that come out, like, super late. Uh, but maybe fight ends in sub, maybe Tim by sub. I'll look into something like that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Victor has got more dog in him than Jordan Espinosa. But I agree with you in terms of the level fight where it's like, you know, Tim just right now, slightly more experienced, slightly ahead, but like Victor kind of, you know, shows that spirit and, you know, wins one of the rounds and like basically wins in a loss, if you know what I mean. Like he loses the fight, but his stock goes up and people can't wait to see him fight again because he's super exciting because he put on a great show with a vet that we all know and Tim Elliott. So that's kind of that's kind of my lean, especially in a three-round fight. Like I said, this was five rounds. I'd view it differently, but three, that's where I'm struggling because it's like at what point does Victor take over? Um, so that that's kind of where I'm at. So I'm going to pick Tim Elliott as well. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Karini Silva. She's 15-4, and four, taking on Ketlin Souza, who's 13-3. and three. And currently they got it. Karini Silva minus 225 the comeback on Ketlin Souza's plus 190 so what I like about this fight man 
is that both these ladies are finishers. Okay. Like when you're talking about um Karini Silva, she's got 15 wins. All 15 of them are finishes. Eight wins by knockout, seven wins by submission. And, and what's really cool about that is that her opponent, it's the same thing. She also has eight wins by knockout. Like when was the last time you saw two chicks? Both of them have eight knockout wins on their resume. So I'm excited for the fact that this should have the potential to be violent. You know, Caitlin Souza, um, she's coming in here as a champion in another organization in Invicta and, and Karini Silva. And, and let me say this, Caitlin actually has won some decisions before, right? Whereas, um, and, and I'm talking about fights that have gone five rounds, whereas Karini, it's strictly finish or bust. Um, so do you see Caitlin kind of making those mistakes to, to give that kind of opening, whether it's a neck or whatever the case may be to Karini, or do you think that Caitlin can kind of, you know, maybe even outpoint her here and play it a bit on the safer side? It's a good question. The tape, the, the, the tape tells you that she most likely makes a mistake, but I've been, you know, I've been doing this long enough to just not assume what I've seen on tape is going to automatically happen you know, in this debut, especially at that line. You know, I taped it when this uh, the line was much better on Silva. And, I mean, there was something stopping me, so I didn't play it. So whenever whenever there's something stopping me, I'm just going to listen to that gut instinct because it's uh, usually right after all these years. Uh, but, yeah, the way um, Souza fights, I mean, she's, she doesn't really have any consideration for her takedown defense, if you know what I mean, like throwing kicks and, and spinning stuff and things that you don't want to see from someone that has good takedown defense, right? She throws those things knowing that when she, if she misses or if it gets caught, she's going to end up on her back. And I've seen a lot of that in her, in her tape, you know, especially in those title fights. Now, some of those girls, you know, not the greatest. Yeah, they've got names. You know, they were on uh, Ultimate Fighter, Williams, whatever, whatever. But they're still not, you know, 100% finish rate. You know, Kareem Silva, who uh, I'm actually seeing improvement in, in her game as well. You know, I see people crapping on her performance against that... Uh, boy girl chinese fighter um but yeah i mean then you see her ufc debut and you know you expect something like that again because it's a debut and she if she gassed and contender she's gonna gas here and she was very composed uh flyweight to her weight class she looks a lot more shredded um uh she was picking her shots it was a little bit of a low output striking fight against uh Botteo. but i mean that's what you want to see you know she's not she's not rushing she's not gassing herself out and then the one big shot which i didn't see coming i played around one sub didn't see it happening from a knockdown, that's for sure. And that was a big shot too, you know. Uh, I don't, don't remember anyone else doing that too, Botteo in uh, in the UFC. So she's improving, you know. She's I don't think she's that young, but, um, you know, you can always improve. It's never too late. You know, dropping down in the weight classes to your natural weight class is the first start. So I think she's dangerous everywhere, man. Like we've seen she can crack, she can sub. Uh, and, yeah, I just don't like the underdog's um, lack of takedown defense. She's got good get-ups. Uh, I do agree with you that, the one thing that I'm looking at is the finish here, just because I can see some ground time and, you know, Silva looks very dangerous on the ground. So I looked at, you know, Silva's finish prop and it's uh, 210. I think that's plus one, plus 110, plus 110. Uh, maybe you can correct me, uh, which is only 20 cents better than than the Pickham line on the under uh, one and, uh, two and a half. So it's like, you know, I play Silva by finish, but the under two and a half is almost the same price. So... I guess there's a knockout chance from uh, from Souza, so I was looking at that. But then again, it's like 
that was something was stopping me there too. Maybe, maybe I want a better price. Right now it's it's 50 50%, 50 50% chance that there's a finish in under two and a half rounds. But I mean, if if uh, Silva's this much of a favorite and she's going to end up on the ground with uh, with the lack of takedown difference from Souza, then surely this could look like a value play. You know, if she gets a round one sub or round two sub. And the other thing I noticed on tape, there might be some uh, fragility issues with uh, Souza, Ketlin Souza. I mean, she's been knocked out by uh, Kanalosi, who I think I lost a bunch of money on Kanalosi because of that fight. Give me false hope that she hits like a truck. <laughs> so, I'm like, ah, oh, this girl hits like an absolute menace, and then she hasn't been able to hurt anyone since that, and I just keep losing money on her. Uh, so yeah, she got teeped to the gut with the near side foot, not the rear one, the near side. It was just flicked out there. And yeah, she was rocked and she dropped and she got finished. She's also got a leg kick TKO, right? One minute in, which massive red flag for me. Can't find that on tape. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe there's some um, maybe there's some fragility issues. And so that, that's another reason why I was considering the under. But then you look at her five round fights, you know, no one's really hurting her. She seems like a durable chick. So yeah, I'm, I'm flip-flopping. I'm flip-flopping. If, if I'm going to play anything, it's going to be on that under uh, two and a half at Pickham. I think there might be a bit of value there, especially it could be around one sub, round two sub, and then you're getting tons of value there. Uh, but it's a dog or pass. I wouldn't play the favorite. You know, if you're going to play the favorite at that juice line, uh, if she's never won a decision, you know, versus a girl that can win five round decisions, then it's going to get sweaty. So you might as well look for the finish prop. And then the finish prop is too similar to the under two and a half. Might as well play the two and a half just in case. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is the money line opened minus 110 apiece. All the action came in on Carini. Um, so it's interesting that Vegas viewed it as a 50 50 fight going into it. I, I'm not sure. I'm going to lean Carini Silva. No, no action for me. That's a good line. If I had picked him, I would have, I would have also esteemed uh, Silva down to that favorite line. Yeah. Now, next up in the lightweight division, kicking off the main card, we got Jamie Malarkey. He's 16 and 5, welcoming Mahamajan Naimov, who's 8 and 2 from Tajikistan. And currently they got it. Malarkey minus 500. The comeback on Naimov is plus 350. So normally if you see an off at plus 350, you might get kind of tempted. But I must preface, this guy was on Contender Series. He fought Colin Anglin, who, no disrespect, but probably on the lower tier, on the bottom of the barrel. And, man, when that fight hit the third round, Colin Anglin was putting it on him. I think the strike count was like 50 to 10 in that third round. But granted, you know, this guy, um, you know, now he's 28 years old. But at the time when he fought Colin Anglin, you know, what was he, 25 or, or something, like, something like that? Yeah, he was. So he's learning, you know, on the job. But, I, I, you know, he's got some hard kicks. He's got some some good stuff. Just not quite sure if he's ready yet for this level. There's another fighter on the card uh, from Tajikistan who I think is ready for the UFC level right now. But Namov, I'm not quite sure. It's just about, you know, are you in the business of laying crazy prices on Jamie Malarkey? I'm not. But I think his experience should probably carry him through this one. And uh, we can make talks about fading him down the line. Yeah, I mean, I was also tempted. It's just that. The favorite line is quite insane on, on Malaki. I can I can see Namov, you know, he, his takedown defense needs a bit of work. I can see Malaki, you know, using his wet savvy and going down that path again. You know, he, he did the same thing against a dangerous guy in Prado. The main thing to him is that he wins. You know, he's not some he, he can bang, you know, Malaki can definitely bang, but I think he just wants to win. So 
if he wants the boring path here, he can go for takedowns against Naimov. Um, but you, look, I still took a little bit on uh, Naimov. Nothing I'm going to tell Twitter or you know all my everyone in the Discord about because it's just like I just locked it in and for like a third of a unit, and it, the line moved thirty cents already. I think it's going to move a lot more by the end of the week because. I don't think Malaki should be this much of a favorite. You know, he's a guy that almost lost the decision to Michael Johnson and just in the, the, the fight before. So he's a good fighter, but it's just, I agree with you. And Namor has definitely improved, you know, on this tape. If, but yeah, he's just, he's another striker with not much power and he can get taken down. And he's just like, there's a lot of things that need to go right for him to win this. Um, but yeah, there's, there's still, it's, it, it feels like one of those ones where there's, there's quite a bit of value. But at the end of the day, Malaki is going to win unless he gets caught. And I'll be quite shocked if Namov is the guy that uh, ends up sparking him cold. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully the under here is sneaky plus money because I know he was quite juiced against Prado and I was roped into playing it. And, you know, Malaki did his best to break my heart with the most uh, boring game plan there is. Uh, I guess that's live here again. But, you know, Namov gets hurt a lot. I've seen a lot of people hurt him and even the GOAT Colin England hurt him too. Uh, I think in round one and two long before it was extremely gassed. So that could be a sneaky, sneaky play. Um, but yeah, if it's minus money, then no, nah, no thanks. Now, next up in the welterweight division, this is one I'm really excited to talk about. We got Elizio Capoeira Zaleski Dos Santos. He's 23 and seven, taking on Abubakar Nurmagomedov, who's 17 and three. And currently they got it. Elizio Zaleski minus 110 and Abubakar Nurmagomedov minus 110. So I got a lot to say about this, man, because, you know, when we talk about guys coming off, you know, PED suspensions, um, you got to put context into it. Like, for example, back in the day when Brian Ortega tested positive for steroids, you know, he was only like 23, 24 at the time. I didn't put any stock into it and then he goes on to fight for two ufc titles so clearly you know a 23 or 24 year old popping doesn't mean shit but elizio zaleski you know coming off a year pd suspension and he's 36 years old here's where i talk about you know is he gonna look the same here's where i expect him you know to kind of just be a, a step slower to have a little bit less pop on his punches to maybe not be as dis, you know have that same chisel that that he's known for um and i think abubakar's catching him at the perfect time the funny thing is a couple of years ago you give me pick him on eliza zaleski against abubakar and i'm hammering that i mean zaleski has made me a lot of money over the years back in the day against Lyman good. I think it was somewhere between plus 160 to plus 180 odds um, against Max Griffin in Brazil. Gave me an early scare, but still like uh, this is this guy's come through for me many times over the year. Oh, against Curtis Milliner. I like pick him odds and he just takes his back one time and chokes him out. So Zaleski like for like um, hardcore, like underground fans, like y'all view this guy as like one of the violence kings. Like Zaleski, I mean, remember when he spinning kicked Sean Strickland, you know, like, so Zaleski is a guy we got a lot of respect for, not just the amazing kicks, you know, the nickname Capoeira and all that, but his submission game is pretty deadly too. Like even that Vandermini fight, like he started off, like he had a nice Peruvian necktie attempt in that fight. Like, so this dude, I love Zaleski. It's just that he's 36 years old coming off a PED suspension. And like I said, 
if you're 23, 24, 25, I'll write it off. No big deal. But when you're 36 and we're not talking 36 at heavyweight, Steve, where, you know, guys don't hit their second win until they're like 40. We're talking about welterweight here. I uh, think that Zaleski is not going to look the same in this fight. Now with Abubakar, he's been criticized for kind of having a little bit of lower output and kind of fights that Russian coasting style. But what I've noticed, the little nuances I've noticed in his fights is like, if you try to turn up on Abubakar, he, he's going to match your intensity and maybe take it up, you know, one more notch. Whereas if you kind of play it safe with him, he'll play it safe with you. So he kind of matches the intensity of his opponent. And I think that's what he's going to have to do here. He's going to have to rise to the occasion because clearly this is the best guy he's ever fought. But I think he's catching Zaleski at the perfect time. And I think that we're actually going to be kind of surprised. This is the prediction. I think we're going to be surprised. Zaleski, like I said, doesn't have that same pop, isn't as fast, kind of a bit slower, maybe a bit flabbier around the midsection. I think this is a good time for Abubakar to kind of slightly outwork him. You know, he's got a sneaky good jab, maybe mix in that opportunistic takedown and go out there and grind out this decision. So uh, I'm actually going Abubakar Nurmagomedov and I'm considering a bet. Interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, I'm excited about this fight too, only because the massive line movement and I, I do love being the contrarian especially when it comes to betting stuff uh yeah i didn't actually know that about the the suspension i was wondering why he was off do you know exactly what substance osterin the the russian ped nah that's nothing bro that's probably tainted supplement it's all good <laughs> that that that's what he said that's what he tried to say oh well, what else are you gonna say yeah it's the number one you know the most believable excuse there is other than uh dick pills <laughs> um, well, yeah. I, I, what I will be shocked is if he does come to the weigh-ins with with a with a flabby gut, because that will be a sight to see on Zaleski. He just seems like a guy that's shredded all year round. But yeah, I love this guy, man. Everything he said, all those fights, I was on most of them. I've lost money on him too. You know, uh, Lee broke my heart. Lee Jing Liang, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I sh hindsight in China, I should have known. Um, but yeah, yeah, I love the guy. You know, he's he's got his flaws. He's all all action, can't stop a takedown. But he's got good get-ups, good get-ups. You know, I, I had to take way too many uh, fights of his because, you know, I had a feeling that we would see a snippet of his takedown defense in, a little bit in each one of his fights. So I had to go back and, you know, a little bit of Nakamura, a little bit of uh, Okmari Medov. You know, obviously skip through those because that was a long, long time ago. I just want to see the takedown defense. And he inverts, you know, inverts, looks for knee bars, look for leg locks, you know, something that Abubakar has had trouble with in the past, you know, lack of concentration and then gets submitted, which is a super rare thing for a Nurmagomedov, right? It's a bit of a red flag. Um, I'm sure Khabib is always making fun of him for that. Um, all the other guys look virtually unsubbable. And it's this guy always making mistakes, you know, as a favorite. But um, I didn't end up taping his PFL career. I've done that a, long, uh, a bunch of times. I didn't want that to influence me again and think, all right, Abubakar is a flake. I do think he's made some improvements. If anything, he's taking his career more seriously. He seems a lot more composed. You know, his striking seems improved. Like you say, yeah, Russian coast, but like to, to the top. You know, he's just all Russian coast. I don't see, there's not much finishing upside from him. Not much power, not much ground and pound on top, not much submission danger. So if he's going to win, it's going to be a decision. And meanwhile, you know, Zaleski has all the finishing upside. The problem with him is uh, even if the fight stays standing, it's a whole lot of explosions and, you know, blitzes and capoeira kicks. So even when the uh, the fight goes to a decision and it's a three-round striking fight, like you said, he's giving you a scare. You know, I was on him against Max Griffin as well, and it's like a split decision where both guys 
end up hurting each other. You know, it's just like, why can't you just knock them out? Or why can't you, you're the better striker. Why, why isn't this not a 30-27? But that's not the way he fights. You know, it's just a whole lot of standing around, waiting for an explosion. If he doesn't get his big moment, then he might lose that round. And it's the same thing here. You know, he might be standing around looking at, you know, Abubakar, maybe leg kicking him, calf kicking him. And then Abubakar gets the takedown. And then the judges are like, oh, we're going to give that to Zaleski, but now maybe we should give it to him. And it's another split decision. So I was hoping, you know, I was hoping I would be a contrarian again and be like, yeah, I'm going to go against the line movement. Zaleski's my boy. Um, didn't really care about the layoff, but now that you told me it's from a banned substance, maybe I do care about that. Maybe it's, I don't want to not take it into consideration. It's an important aspect. Um, but I'll, I'll wait, man. If he's got abs at the weigh-in, it's not going to change much for me. I mean, we've seen his uh, fight against Benoit Saint, uh, Saint uh, Denis, and I mean, that's perfect, perfect matchup, right? Guy with rabies, one stop going for takedowns. And I think you know someone like Benoit has a lot more heart. You know, um, maybe not the best cardio, but he came out there and he was just he just kept going for it. He was swinging, whereas Bubakar. I think Abubakar has quitted him. You know, he has quitted him. And even that last performance against Gazi, oh my Gazi, talk about fraud Russians, right? Um, that, I don't know. Like, I expect a lot better performance from from him against Gazi because Gazi was essentially pulling guard and ending up on bottom. Yeah, he has a guy that wrestles like Abubakar. Perfect matchup, you know? Someone that's going to pull guard on you and you can just stay on top. And he's still, it was 229-28. He still lost the round to him, even though um, Gazi gassed. So he just doesn't do much. He doesn't do much. I, I still lean Zaleski. You know, he's probably going to be on his back a lot. But hey, he's got good get-ups. Abubakar doesn't have the best control. He's going to be looking for legs. Submission's going to be live. A flying knee is going to be live. I guess a pick him, I don't know, maybe I'm forcing it. Maybe with the suspension and whatnot, then it kind of should be a pick him. You know, a lot of uncertainties, a lot of question marks. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking at some outside-the-box plays. Alaski, uh, Zaleski's submission is plus 900, I'm pretty sure, unless it moved since yesterday. I mean, he loves his Peruvian necktie. You know, he loves his knee bars. He loves his... his I mean, he's only got one sub over uh, Curtis Millinder, but he's a black belt. He's capable of it. If he's going to be on his back constantly, he's going to be looking for stuff. So, um, yeah. Nothing as of yet, but I'm going to pick Zaleski just to be a contrarian because he's my boy, and there's no way in hell I'm ever going to pick Abu and... If I keep losing money on it, then so be it. But yeah, no play, but I'll, I'll pick Zaleski. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between John Castaneda. He's 19-6, and six, welcoming Muin Gafarov, who's 18-4. and four. Currently, they got it. Just depends where you look, but John Castaneda minus 119 and Muin Gafarov minus 101. That's on... Uh, bet online. If you look elsewhere, like let's say Pinnacle, it says on fightodds.io that's minus 130, Castaneda plus 115, Gafarov. But um, I actually took Gafarov earlier today on Pinnacle and it was not plus 115, it was plus, one four, <laughs> plus 114, just you know, 0. 0.0 whatever off, but no, but it's around there. Um, so I just gave away, I spilled the beans, I bet on Gafarov here in this spot. I'll explain why. Uh, on a, on a side note. Uh, I also bet on Daniel Willie Cat Santos at plus 175 against uh, Castaneda as well, that last fight. Um, and the reason being is I love fading these guys that have just low output and fight at a super slow pace. And that's what Castaneda does. Look, Castaneda is solid, obviously. I mean, like he's not bad. It's just that 
he's never landed 60 strikes in a single UFC or contender series fight. Like he's just so low output for me. And I love taking high pace fighters against those low output guys. And with Gafarov, so I know a lot of people are low on him because of the contender series fight. But what you got to understand about that fight is firstly, he was line minus 500. He's line plus 115 here. Big difference there. Um, and, and secondly, I mean, he was like 25 years old. Now he's 27. Uh, you've seen his subsequent fight since the contender series fight. Looks like he's not only matured physically, like in terms of like his body starting to like, like um, he's starting to put on some size. And it just seems like he's a lot more composed in there. He can be deadly at times with his kicks, with his punches, but he can also mix in wrestling. And for someone making their UFC debut, he's got the proper amount of experience that I want. I mean, we're talking about a guy that went three hard rounds with John Lineker. He banged with John Lineker and even took one round off of him. So, like, those are the kind of experiences I need, you know, to be uh, – comfortable with someone you know making their ufc debut whereas you look at like nick fiore who fought fucking jay ellis twice and now that 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 was two of his six wins and he's coming into the ufc with zero business whereas like this dude like took rounds off lineker and like beat just beat a 15 and one guy um a fight or two ago by a vicious knockout so like i see this guy leveling up and even the fight he lost on contender series um, you know, it was to a kind of lower level opponent, but, but the thing is like, he fought to a split decision there, but it was minus 500. So that looks bad fight to a split decision here, man, as an underdog and, and you're covering your price tag for me. That that's all I want out of you. Gafarov. Like, let's come out here. Just put the pace on this guy because we know Castaneda has never surpassed 60 strikes in a single fight before. He's super low output. He's solid, but he's super low output. So I think Gafarov can push the pace on him and I'd love for it to be a dominant win, but at the very least, just give me a split decision type fight. And I felt like I made the right bet at plus 115 odds. I think this should be a pick em with a slight lean on Gafarov. You know, obviously a week short notice, but this guy's not coming off the couch. This guy's been training with people like Marab. Um, and I'm not sure if Aljo too, but he's been, it's definitely been training with Marab. He's been ready for a short notice call. So I, I think this guy's, you know, I, I'm willing to roll the dice at dog money on him in this spot, period. And I have. Two units plus one fourteen. Damn, I was hoping uh, you'd be on Castaneda so we can have a, a passionate disagreement. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, man. I'm with you all the way. Unfortunately, for the sake of the viewers. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want me to make you feel better about that contender series fight, I can because I have a little tidbit. Um, that that fight, I was going to have a massive, massive bet on Gafarov. Right, he was minus two hundred when I played him. For a couple of units um i know he closed massive the money just kept coming in and in because obviously it should have been a level fight right you yeah. know chad you know undersized whatever whatever say what you will and i went on his instagram that was during COVID times i'm pretty sure and gaffaro posted a, uh, a video of him doing pads like five days before the fight in some tags of some random gym in tajikistan he looked horrible and he was like been sick uh whatever whatever but we have to go out there and follow our dreams you know and that's five days out from the fight and he's hitting pads in Tajikistan. So he has to fly to the USA and he's supposedly sick. So I'm like cashed out. Uh, I still left one unit because I'm like, look, he's got punches. You know, he can get a round one knockout. He can get a round one guillotine, re-naked choke. And I could still win my bet here, even though it's quite juicy. But 
from the tape that I've seen, he still slows down in round three. He's a young guy. He seems a bit not good with his pacing, which I think he's fixed this now. Like you said, he's a lot younger. And I'm like, let's see what we do. And man, he, I, I guarantee you he only trained for like a week for that fight and then flew to America and he still had a split decision. Split decision loss. Uh, he still had enough in him in, to win like round two dominantly. Round one, he was going to win. He had, a, he had a knee right at the end of the round that dropped it. And then round three was competitive. So, I mean... Chad's probably not a UFC level fighter, but that was enough for him to, you know, make that competitive. On five days notice, sick flying over from Tajikistan. So that I was hoping that everyone would see that fight, which I know some people that have and be like, yeah, yeah Castaneda is a smash spot um, without knowing those details and w- without knowing, you know, what he went through to make it to the fight and just not giving a young fighter any, ju- uh, any um, due diligence, you know, like that he can improve, that he can get better with age. And the guy that I, I tried to fight him in LFA, you know, I was, I, I was like, is he still going to have the cardio issues? Thank God I didn't because uh, I was going to fight him against uh, Diego Lopez uh, in the five-rounder. And round three, he still looked fine. Uh, the first fight against Henrique De Silva, I think a 15-1 and one guy that I've never heard of, but he seems legit. I looked at his record. Um, there was a lot of wrestling and grinding in that fight. And he, he still his cardio still seemed fine to, enough to spark him. So, yeah, the reason – I actually just played it on Bet365 as you were talking because that line is still uh, plus 210. He's still an underdog by 10 cents, 20 cents. So, Wait, wait, wait. Else. Who's it's a plus two ten underdog? Uh, Gafarov. You mean a decimal or? or? Uh, yeah, two ten decimal. Yeah. Okay, I was about to say. Oh, I messed up. Yeah. I was. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because <laughs> I bet a plus one fourteen. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. For my, for my uh, American audiences, I'm, I'm trying to be. You know, <laughs> Bilingual in the decimal odds and whatnot. Yeah, I was like, so they, they would limit me and ban me so fucking quick <laughs> if I took a line like that. Yeah, you were telling me because, like, I got pinnacle as well, and you were telling me that it's pick them there. And I'm like, man, that's bet three six five must be the only place in the world that is, is an underdog still. So I put on a, a unit bet, but I really wanted better line. I really hoped that people would like underestimate him and say, you know, think that he might gas on short notice. But no, the line, all the money's coming in on Gafarov, so I just had to take that. But I, I was hoping, you know, it would be the other way. I, I think skill for skill, he should be the favorite. I think he's better everywhere than Castaneda. I think he's better striking, better wrestling, 100% better wrestling. The only thing that he doesn't have better is cardio. But, like, look at everything else, you know, power, the finishing upside. Um, the only thing I don't like is just occasionally sp- throws a spinning back, back too many times. He might get his back taken. Are, are um, we sure he doesn't have better cardio? Are we sure about that? Because I, I saw someone take a knee uh, last fight against uh, Daniel Willycat. Yeah, you know, excuses, but he, he did have bronchitis in that one. He did have bronchitis. He did look uncharacteristic. I also bet Santos. So he did look uncharacteristically uh, winded there. Uh, I've never seen Castaneda tired in like 20 plus fights. But um, yeah, I think he's still going to fight for your money, you know, in round three, Gafarov. So yeah, I'm on him too. I wanted a better line. I was just kind of forced to do it now. Because he was going towards Pickham, so yeah, there with you, man. I think that surprised a lot of people. Yeah, I, I'd love that. Just, just look. Worst case scenario, fight to a split for me. But if you want to dominate, I'm cool with that too. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between the legend Andre Arlovsky. It's cool that Arlovsky and Jim Miller are fighting on this card. Both of them are trying to break the record for most UFC fights um, ever. So pretty fucking cool and i'm sure they're up there with wins as well so andre arlovsky he's 34 and 21 taking on don tail mays who's nine and five currently they got it don tail mays minus 139 they come back on arlovsky's plus 119 so talk to me man because i mean it's like you know 
man, like 10 years ago, we thought Arlovsky was completely done. You know what I'm saying? He was like getting knocked out every single fight. He's had these career resurgences, but granted, he's beating all these lower level guys. And, and Dante Mays, while he's got some physical attributes, six foot six, 81 inch reach, 260 pounds. I mean, he's a big boy, but um, I just don't think he has the goods. And this is something we've been seeing since like even the contender series days. I mean, remember when uh Snoop Dogg said that Dante Mays wasn't invited to the gang fight? Like to say that that th those are some big words. Like that's how low uh they viewed his uh fighting abilities, man. And you know, since that point, the only guys he's been able to beat are Roki Martinez, which a lot of people thought Roki Martinez might have beat Dante Mays and Josh Parisian. Well, a beautiful job humping the grown man's face. But aside from that, he hasn't shown us shit. It's just that we're dealing with a guy in Arlovsky who, what, 44, 43, something like that. Um, so is Arlovsky going to be able to come out here and just kind of like out volume him, just give that kind of vet point fighting decision victory that he's known for? That's a good question. I wish I did an in-depth taping for this fight so I could answer that, but I did did not want to put myself through that. Not uh I don't blame you. <laughs> not for this fight. You know, I thought there's this there's, there's one fight every single card, and I'm trying to get better, even as a full-time better at just passing and knowing that even if I tape, I won't find anything and I'm better off focusing on regionals. And this is the fight, man. I mean, I missed the dog line on, on Mayes, uh Maze. And I just want to say, I mean, I don't think Snoop's invited to any barbecues either. I mean, he's just, just doing rap. Um I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Yeah, don't don't cancel my boy. I apologize. Um, but yeah, I was. What am I gonna do? Like, I mean, I watched that Sakai fight. It's just no urgency to win. Just folding. Uh, Hamdi. I know everyone was on on, on against Hamdi there. I, I didn't want to get involved. I missed the line movement. Thank God. Uh, but yeah, I think Alowski is done. I think he is done. You said people thought he was done ages ago. I, st I think he is done. I think there's a ton of quit in him. A ton of quit in him. It's just the, the people that he's fighting, they don't bring it out of him, right? Chase Sherman's not going to bring it out of him, right? Vandera, um, Collier, like these guys, they're not bringing it out of him. And I don't think Dante Mays is going to bring it out of him either, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think this is going to go to a decision. At this point, at this current line where, where Dante is a favorite, I'd rather just sprinkle some Andre Lowski decision and just hope for one more, one more shot, you know, before he goes into the sunset. Because I've been, I've been smashing those decisions. But then again, they're like... They're against Chet Sherman and bottom of the barrel. I reckon Dontel could be one step up above those guys. Because he's like you said, he's got those advantages, man. He's got he's got some nice footwork for a big guy, you know, he switches stances. He pretends like he's good. But um, yeah, he's there's there's something wrong in the mental mental space. And I think these guys are gonna go head to head of who's gonna flake first. And I don't think either one's gonna make either either guy flake and we're gonna be in for a horrible fight. So I don't wanna watch it, I don't wanna tape it. Um I will watch it because I want to lie better and make money, but yeah, don't waste my time on it. Pure pick. <laughs> Damn. Um, Arlovsky. Arlovsky as well. <laughs> All right. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Daniel Willie Cachi Santos. He's 10 and 2, taking on Johnny Munoz Jr., who's 12 and 2. Currently, they got it. Wow. Daniel Santos minus 220, Johnny Munoz plus 185. The reason I say wow, Steve, is because when they were originally scheduled to match, I mean, to, to fight, it was like minus 160. Then it went up to, you know, minus 175. Okay, whatever. But now minus 220, completely different fight. And even though I favor Daniel, 
uh, or Daniel, I mean, what I got to say is this, bro. I bet Willie Cat in both of his two UFC fights, plus 160 against Arce and plus 175 against Castaneda. Um, but here, like, where's my edge? You know, <laughs> like, betting, you know, plus 160 and plus 175 versus minus 220 are two completely different things for a guy in Santos who, yeah, I think he's the more aggressive fighter. I think he's actually the more technical fighter, but he's also the more, you know, balls to the wall, willing to take risks. And as a result, we'll get, you know, he's he's going to take some shots too. So, I mean, the thing with Munoz, good jujitsu background. I felt like that last fight against Ludovic Shalunian was a step in the right direction. You know, the most output that Johnny's ever had. He, he said that that's the most comfortable he's ever felt. It's just that, you know, Shalunian didn't bring that chaos that, that Daniel Santos is going to bring to him. So I think Daniel can kind of overwhelm him. It's just when you're talking about minus 220, I need all my bases covered, and there is a chance that Daniel is going to eat shots because that's what he does in fights, right? So I'm more... I like to bet Daniel Santos at good dog odds because I know he's going to fight for my money, but I also know that he's prone to you know getting rocked and whatnot. Um, and while I do think this is a much better matchup for him than the last two, I mean, hence the line... Um, I would have been more comfortable at minus 160. I'm all good at minus 220. I missed the line, so I passed, but my pick is Daniel Willie Cat Santos. Man, I didn't miss the line originally, and then they rebooked the fight, and then obviously there was no way I could hit the good line because they just opened it up. But after people smashed it, to my thing, I opened up minus 200 this time around. And yeah, I was kind of feeling like I'm pushing it with the original line. It was like $1.65 or something. But I just thought ultimately, like everything you say, I agree with, you know, there's going to be takedowns. There's going to be a lot of punches blocked with a face for Daniel Santos. But he's just, end of the day, I think he knocks this kid out. I think uh, from what I've seen from Munoz, he's just a little bit more of a jiu-jitsu guy than anything, you know, point fighter. You know, some people going back and forth with me on Sherdog, you know, nothing, nothing too aggressive. He's just, we're discussing fights and... You know, they think, you know, Munoz can out-jab him and, you know, do this and that. I'm like, yeah, of course he can, but it's, it's not Julio Arce, you know. And Munoz, he's at the bottom of the barrel guys in the UFC. You know, Nate Manes, you know, Simons and Ludovic even. These guys are not, you know. Ludovic got beat by um, Jack Shaw with an injured shoulder and he got he got walked around the octagon with a jab for three rounds. Uh, I, I think Shaw was fighting at 40% and he just 30-27 with ease. So these are not the guys that are going to, you know, trouble, trouble him. But uh, yeah, Santos, man, Santos has been doing this as a young kid on, on the Russian regional scene against much better opponents. And uh, you know what? Hot take. I wouldn't be surprised if he submits uh, Johnny Munoz. You know, he's a Lima black belt. Uh, I saw some deep guillotine chokes, some armbar attempts against the Russians. Um, Let me say this. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually saw some training footage between uh, Daniel Santos and Ala Nascimento, who... I mean, we hold a super high regard as far as his grappling ability is concerned. And guess who tapped out who? I know it's just the training room, but I saw Daniel Santos tap out Alain Nascimento. So to your credit, I mean, don't sleep on it on his jujitsu. And even in that um, fight with Castaneda where he was getting rocked all over the place, I mean, you saw those deep halves. You saw those scrambles. I mean, dude's fucking nasty. The jujitsu is legit, man. You just have to watch the tape. It's it's all there, like the arm bars, everything. Um so yeah, I think it's gonna be one of those ones where like, ah, what a what a square play. Look at Santos getting taken down, look at him getting hit with jabs. But yeah, just eventually the scrambles, the constant pressure, it's gonna wear on someone like Munoz who he doesn't like it. Let's be honest. He doesn't like the pressure. You can see it. You can see it in his fights. He doesn't like getting backed up. He needs the space. He's just like a uh, a space kicker. He likes to keep space and 
do the side kicks. You know, no offense to him, but he kind of fights like a female, you know, just point fighting, point fighting karate, like bum, bum, bum. And then when you jump, when you come at him, he will uh, uh, level change, right? But his takedowns are also really bad on the in the center of the octagon in space. His best takedowns when he can lock his hands against the, the cage. But yeah, uh, I, I lean Santos as well. It's just the line is kind of unplayable. The money line, uh, you said you don't know how you're going to get an edge. Uh, Dan Santos by finishes an edge, I guess, plus money. Um, KO is not bad. But then again, I, I do think there's a chance that he gets a sub. I wouldn't want to be too greedy. So I would probably just play the plus money Santos. If when I when I dive into a deeper, it just it feels very rare for him not to hurt or knock someone out throughout his whole career. Um I also played him against Julio Arce and I was surprised, you know, after seeing that Wayne, probably the last time, probably made me take a step back and not look at Wayne's as much anymore after that, because Arce looked completely dead. And I was like, oh, this kid's gonna catch him at one, one point. He's going to catch him at one point, and he didn't. But, um, yeah, I think Santos, I feel like he's going to knock out Munoz. Um, Let me say this. Weigh-ins are not the be-all, end-all. Because, like, I remember when Ortega fought Moicano, and Ortega was the last one to show up, looked like he was on death's doorstep, and then puts on the performance of his career against Moicano. But to, to your credit, I don't think that you were off in the um, Arce and Daniel Santos fight. And I'm not saying that as a biased person who also had a bet on Santos, but we got to consider Santos was coming off a three-year layoff. So, you know, like the way he performers are set compared to the way he performed was Castaneda it was night and day. So I think that now, you know, he's got his feet under him, you know, no more ring rust. Now we're going to start to see, see the real uh, Daniel Willie Cat Santos. So, yeah, that's what I got to say regarding that. All right. Next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Jin Yufrey. She's 11 and 8, taking on Elise Reed, who is 6 and 3. Currently, they got it. Elise Reed minus 120, Jin Yufrey plus 100. I mean, look, on paper, both strikers, they're about the same size. Jin Yufrey, two inch reach advantage, and she's a southpaw. Um, as far as the numbers are concerned, they're relatively equal, maybe a little bit more grappling upside from Jin Yufrey. Um, and so it's like the youth of Reed versus kind of, you know, the vet savvy of Frey. I have no idea. So, um, heads is going to be Reed and tails is going to be Fry. And, uh, we got, uh, tails. So I said tails is Fry, right? So I'm gonna go with uh Fry. That's all I got to say regarding this. Nice. You picked the right side, man. Whether it's the coin's fault or not, it's a good decision. Uh, yeah, I was I was wondering why all the money came in on um, Elise Reed. Probably got something to do with that KO uh, that she suffered, right? But yeah, she's um, while she's fresh, you know, Reed is a solid striker. You know, I like her striking. You know, hands low, good counters, fast, got some power. It's just I I looked at the fight versus uh, Gloria DePaula for the fray, and she won that fight with takedowns and a lot of control and back takes in rounds one and three and. I think she's a black belt, as far as I, I know. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. And that's all I needed to see to not want to play Elise Reed as a favorite, who she's got an uncanny talent of getting finished by fighters that don't finish anyone, right? Sam Hughes, Sajara Eubanks, and Loma Lukbumia, right? So, like, if she can get re naked choked by Loma Lukbumia, and if she can get ground and pounded by Sam Sam Hughes, she can get finished by someone like Jin Yu Frey, who, you know, doesn't do anything to put stamps on fights. But she, she's got a black belt and she's back taking girls before. She can submit at least read, right? So it's a dog or pass for me. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, I think the strike is going to be competitive. I think Reed's going to be more inclined to bite down and throw. And Frey can be a little bit uh, pedestrian sometimes. And who knows, maybe she's even more pedestrian coming off a KO like that. Uh, and she's 38. Maybe it's the last fight of the contract, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's a dog or pass. And I might actually have to look into it some more. I didn't think I'll be interested. But after seeing the, the Polar fight and the Loma fight, where she also took Lomas back as well, um, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested to see. I'm She's she show she showed IQ that she will go for takedowns if she needs him to win fights. So I think the smart thing to do is wrestle Reed here and yeah, man. Same Hughes. She had a uh, Amarim on death door after round one and she still couldn't finish her. Amarim was looking for a way out and at least Reed got finished by her. So it's just it's a bit of wiki capping, but she looks for the door. I think at least Reed. So yeah, it's a dog or pass. Dog or pass for me. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, I'm very excited about this one, Steve. We got Luan Lacerda. He's 12-2, and two, taking on Damon Blackshear, who's 12-5 and five in one because, you know, that debut was a draw. Currently, they got it. Luan Lacerda, minus 148, and the comeback on Damon Blackshear is plus 128. I fucking love this fight, man. This is, this is one I'm very much looking forward to. Both guys are desperate to get that first UFC win. Both guys have paid their dues on the regional scene, and I think they're ready, and I think that even though someone has to lose this fight, I, I think both guys are going to go on to, to get some wins in, inside the UFC's octagon. And kind of the way I break it down a little bit is I see Luan Lacerda. He kind of gives me kind of like Pantoja slash Carlos Diego vibes, and let me explain what I mean. No, I'm not saying that he's a top 15 guy like they are right now. But what I'm saying is that, you know, he, he's a serious black belt in jujitsu, but he's a little bit more on the less athletic side. But he's a guy that is down to bang with anybody. He's not worried about, you know, letting his hands go, because if you take him down, he's so confident in his jujitsu that he'll stand and bang with anybody. And he throws very, very hard, very, very hard. And, um, yeah, just kind of just kind of gives me that those Pantoja and Carlos Diego vibes. And then with Demond Blackshear, man, this guy's a fucking athlete, man. <laughs> this guy, when he lets his stuff go, it looks beautiful. Like offensively speaking, my issue with Blackshear is that, you know, so I said offensively speaking, it's beautiful. It's just defensively, sometimes because he's so explosive, he's so athletic, he throws everything that into every shot. There's going to be times in fights where he has to, you know, pace himself, take a couple minutes off, kind of kind of starts to cover up against the fence a little bit. And it's just kind of bad visuals for the judges. But the talent and the athleticism and the skills are there as far as I'm concerned. It's just about the kid putting it together. I think he's far more um, like if you had to put them together, who's got the higher vertical jump? Who's got the faster 40 meters, 40 meter sprint? Who? benches more i mean you know demand's winning that all day they put on the gi i think that's probably a different story but here in mma um how much is this you know physicality difference gonna play gonna play a part here is what i'm wondering because i do think that if both guys are tired lacerda is going to be the one pushing that pace kind of getting getting right in his face and gonna let those hands go but when Demond lets his stuff go, that that's where I'm going to be worried. So I love this fight, man. What do you think? Why are you uh, assuming that Demond's going to be more explosive and athletic? Are you making any assumptions there, or what are you trying to? No, I'm um, I mean, he is. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely black explosive. Um, that 
I don't know if that's going to make a difference because, you know, he's, he's black explosive against a lot of the people that he fights. He's just, I agree with everything. Amazing fight. Love it. Probably no idea why it's so far down. Uh, I do hope that Blackshoe can win a fight, but, you know, you never know. If he loses this, he doesn't have a win in three, so maybe they cut him, uh, which would be a shame with all the horrible talent the UFC has at the moment. Um, yeah, I wish I took Lacerda early with that plus money. My bo- One of my boys told me to look into it. I'm just, I'm always like, what's next? So I was focusing on the regionals and I didn't get far ahead. And Aileen Lacerda, I, I, everything you said is right. You know, I, I'm surprised that Damon hasn't been submitted with the way he fights, you know, with how many times he gets his back taken, you know, and even fighting, you know, people like Pat Sabatini, right? Really good scramblers, really good. Um, uh, Matteo Vogel, you know, kept kept having him in, in submission, deep submission attempts. Even Zalal, I know Zalal is a black belt, but I mean, he's a bit harmless, right? And Zalal had his back and he was cranking, cranking a rear naked choke. So it's like, you don't want to be there against Lacerda, right? Uh, Lacerda is just, his jiu-jitsu is such a joy to watch, man. I, I um, As another jiu-jitsu guy, I'm sure you know, like, you don't see that kind of jiu-jitsu. Like, yeah, there's a lot of guys with good gist, but, like, him just a really good, like, amoplata sweep and how comfortable he is pulling guard and, and going for an amoplata sweep, knowing that he's going to get on top, like, 90% of the time. Just that confidence, you don't see that these days. Um, you know, even Ortega, he was more, like, jumping on submissions, but this guy has, like, got transitions in the... In MMA, jiu-jitsu, like it's beautiful. It doesn't have the sleeves or anything. Um, but yeah, I, I just think, you know, Blackshear, everything you said, good wrestler, athletic, explosive, amazing back taker, but he can be taken down himself. He does make mistakes. He does put himself in deep subs. And I think the striking is competitive. And I think that's going to be the difference. You know, he was a popular dog against, you know, the lesser Basharat, as a lot of people call him. I don't know if he's the lesser. I'm still, I kind of, I'm on the edge. I think he's going to be better in his next fight. And I ended up playing uh, Bashara round three, a decision at close to plus money because I thought what it will come down to is the couple of mistakes that Bashara won't make and Damon will. And that's literally what it was. It was just when he was about to take his back, Bashara knew that he was about to take his back and he didn't let him do it. When Bashara went to get takedowns to seal the rounds, Damon made a mistake and let him take him down and then didn't get up. And I feel like he'll do something like that against Lacerda. Lacerda is going to sweep him. He's going to end up in back control. And this could be the first time that he gets submitted, right? Like Luan is an amazing jiu-jitsu guy. But at slight favorite money, I mean, I cap it as accurate. Uh, so I don't really want to force Lacerda at this line. That one is a good fighter, man. I agree with you. So I'm going to pass. Regrettably, I'm going to pass from a betting perspective. But I know you're going to ask me for my picks. So I'll go with Lacerda. My pick is Lacerda as well, but regardless of who loses this fight like i really think both these guys are going to win fights inside the octagon and i'm keeping my eye on Damon. like i feel like he's going to do some crazy shit in one of these fights whether it's this one or one coming up like i feel like he's he's someone to look out for but luan just a little bit more consistent a little bit better process right now slightly more ahead despite having less mma experience which is the interesting part but uh yeah pure pick lacerda and i cannot wait this is one of the fights that i'm looking forward to the most now before we talk about the final fight between maxine grishin and philippe Linz, everyone do me a huge favor and smash the like button if you're not subscribed please subscribe and then when this when this is over please leave me a comment and then also follow Steve. It's uh, at big underscore Steve MMA. That's it. Okay, great. Yeah, give him a follow for sure. And sincerely appreciate you. You know, what time is it in Australia right now? 
Uh, right now it's seven thirty a.m. You see that? You see this dedication? And, and you couldn't even tell that this guy woke up at like four or five a.m. So much respect, bro. So last but not least, in the light heavyweight division, we got Maxine Grishin. He's thirty-two, nine and two. So a lot of fucking fights taking on Philippe Lynch, who's sixteen and five. Currently, they got it. Maxine Grishin minus one twenty-eight. The comeback on Philippe Lynch is plus one hundred eight. So. You know, this is back to kind of the Pineda talking point, not in terms of, you know, 100% finish rate or in terms of anything like that, but more in terms of uh, what kind of supplements he's taken because the physique difference between a lens at at heavyweight and at light heavyweight has been astronomical. He looks like a brand new man, but you have to put context in it and mention he fought Marcin Prachnio kind of on the lower tier and OSP, who I love me some OSP, but OSP is on his way out. So how much stock do we put into that? And with Maxime Grishin, he's not really going to blow anybody away, but he's just kind of that solid guy that's kind of tough to look good against, um, kind of able to stifle people. He's got a lot of size. He's actually a guy that beat Volkov back in the day, a long ass time ago. So he's very, very experienced. Um, I kind of lean Grishin here just to kind of, you know, stifle him, kind of, you know, squeak out a little bit of a decision. But I wouldn't write off a finish because Linz has had those chin issues and, you know, Prachnio and and the ghost of OSP aren't going to quite bring that out of him. You never know with Grishin. I think he's still got a little bit more left in the tank. So I lean towards Grishin, but not enough to plant my flag or, or bet anything on this spot. Yeah, it's one of those fights. I mean, how can you plant your flag on, on these two? Um, well, what I will say is Maxim Grisham definitely has the better IQ. If you look at his uh, his pullouts, he had to fight Jolton Amada twice and he withdrew. So that's that's really, really high-level IQ. <laughs> um, no, 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 edge goes to him. Um, and now he's got a winnable fight. So, yeah, I mean, it's a dog or pass in this scenario, but then there wasn't enough meat on the bone for Linz because I still think he will lose. Um, and then even more money came in on him. And now I'm considering Grisham, you know, as a... As an ex-heavyweight, you know, with power that's, you know, went to competitive fights with, you know, Dustin Jacoby. I think Jacoby's a bit overrated, but yeah, I wasn't impressed. You know, I was on Linz as a slight underdog against Prachnio, and he made a meal of that fight, man. He made a meal. He gassed himself out from going for constant takedowns, even after he hurt Prachnio. And it's just like, you know, 37. I'm actually surprised that he has two wins at light heavyweight, you know, dropping down at 37 years of age. Maybe there's something to do with what you said, um, you know, speculation. Uh, but yeah, I'm surprised, you know, it's just not the move at that age. And now he's fighting an ex heavyweight who, you know, again, Grishin doesn't really put stamps on fights and he can be taken down. You know, he's, as someone mentioned before, I don't know who, um, you know, that was the last time William Knight looked like he was interested in fighting and William Knight took him down a bunch of times, you know, picked him up, slammed him on his head and Grisham has good get ups. So I just feel like it's going to be a bit of a stalemate here. And if anyone's going to get a knockout or finish, maybe Grishin lands a one-two down the pipe. And yeah, it's just a fight that's horrible to to bet on pre-fight. Um, I'll lean Grishin though. I'll lean Grishin and I'll, that'll be my pick. Now, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Big Steve, in your opinion, what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 74? Oh, fight to watch. There's a couple. Obviously, the main event, picking the main event is going to be a bit of a cop-out, eh? Um, I won't do that to you. <laughs> the fight to watch. Oh, man. The fight to watch. The fight to watch. See, we got to be this. I reckon 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Gafarov and Castaneda. I think that fight should be on... Uh, I think it should be on the main card. I think, you know, LFA champ. I think a lot of people are going to be shocked. Uh, they're not taking any improvements in consideration that they think is going to be the same guy like the Fort Chad. And Castaneda, I think, is one of the most underrated guys. I think he fought the who's who on the regionals. And this is going to be a scrap, man. I think these guys are borderline top 20. And they're both improving still. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a war, the way both these guys fight. Yeah, definitely want to watch. Obviously, another underrated one, like we mentioned, Lacerda and Blackshear. But, man, I got to go with the people's main event between Tim Elliott and Victor Altamirano. Obviously, there's all the outside factors. But take the outside factors away. These two guys are two of the most exciting flyweights on the roster. Tim Elliott's been for years. Victor Altamirano's creating a name for himself. And he's a champion in another organization in LFA. So he's coming in here with experience. And no matter what happens in this fight, I mean, assuming it's not like an I poke no contest or some bullshit, these two are going to get down to business. These two are going to scrap and it's going to, you're going to get your money's worth. Uh, you know, it's a free card, but you know, you still pay like what, $7.99 a month for ESPN Plus or whatever I pay. So you're going to get your money's worth on this fight alone. So Tim Elliott versus Victor Altamirano is my fight to watch. Now, Steve, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Vegas 74? Well, that was going to be my fighter to watch. Go ahead. <laughs> I, don't go really, ahead. I don't really care about the fight per se. I just, I think, obviously, all the eyes are going to be on Tim. You know, like, so that's, he's definitely the fighter. And whether I have money on him or not, you know, I'm still contemplating whether it's a levels fight. I just want to see how he's going to fight. You know, it's, despite it all being drama and whatnot, and, you know, it's sometimes useless for betting. You can't, you're lying if you're not not excited to see how Tim's going to handle it and how he's going to get in there. And, you know, he says he's looking for a finish. So, you know, he's going to be fighting the same way, if not more aggressively. So you got to watch that fight for sure. hundred percent. And my fighter to watch is actually one you're going to be surprised by. Abubakar Nurmagomedov. This is a massive opportunity, man. I mean, not just anybody is able to get a win over a guy like Zaleski. Zaleski is a guy, like I said, for us hardcore fans that have been watching for a while, like we consider Zaleski to be one of the underrated violence guys in the welterweight division, and he's been around the block for a long time. And if Abubakar can come out here and get a win over a guy like that, I mean, then we are going to be talking about potential top 20, even borderline top 15 matchups. And this is the biggest fight of his career, the biggest step up of his career. And I'm very intrigued to see how he deals with the step up in competition, just in terms of, you know, skills and in terms of the name. So uh, for that reason, Abubakar Nurmagomedov is my fighter to watch. Well, Steve, we did it. Broke down the whole card. It's going down this Saturday. In Las Vegas, live at the Apex, Albazi and Cara France going to be a hell of a main event. It's going to be an exciting fight, uh, an exciting card, to be quite frank with you. Thank you very much for waking up early. All the fans appreciate it. I appreciate it. They can follow you at big underscore Steve MMA on Twitter. Uh, Steve, any message for the fans before we get out of here? Uh, no, nah, man, it was a pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I don't, I don't mind waking up uh, early for such an occasion, you know. Um, I was, uh, I was listening to your podcast five, six years ago when I was going through the Sherdog forums and I didn't have a Twitter and I didn't have anyone to talk or discuss fights with. So I was like, look at this guy, him and his friends, Shaq, you know, they're talking about fights every week. How, how cool is that? I'll just pop that on. And six years later, man, I still listen to your podcast and now it's, uh, it's good to be on. Um, if you don't mind, man, I'll plug my channel as well. 
No, please uh, go ahead. The Big Brain MMA channel. You know, I never thought I'd be doing my own podcast just because it never really interested me. But here we are. Um, every single week there's a pod. And this week I'm bringing on Will Martin. So another OG that I used to listen to. So it's you and Will back in the and now it's full circle. And then one of them is coming on my show and I'm on the other guy's show. So it just worked out like that this week. So, yeah, uh, appreciate you having me on, man. It was a pleasure. Hope uh, Hopefully the listeners got something out of it and they can cash some checks. Uh, they absolutely did. And Will Martin, friend of mine, I've met him in person, been talking to him for years. So, yeah, you know, you're in good hands there. So y'all make sure y'all check that out um, for all the fans. Thank you all so much for all the support. Truly can't thank you enough. Please support the channel by hitting the like button, the subscribe button, the share button. Leave me a comment when this is done. And then Friday, dropping the new technique of the week, uh, going to be the arm triangle, uh, setting it up from half guard with a nice little baseball slide pass over to side control. And I can't wait to break that down. So thank you all again. Best of luck to everyone this weekend. Enjoy the fights. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.